Hey guys, welcome back to the Love Well podcast. It's good to have you here with me again this week. A um, couple of quick announcements before we dive in here. Uh, let's see, Sunday, uh, was it October 20th, I think it is? Um, uh, I will be uh, preaching at Peace Presbyterian uh, Church in Flint. 10:45 a.m. and uh, so I'll be I'll be doing the doing the monologue there. Um, I'll be talking about uh, the four G's. Uh, this idea that uh, God is good, God is glorious, God is great, and God is gracious. And uh, so I'll be I'll be doing doing that talk uh, this Sunday, October 20th at 10:45, Peace Presbyterian Church in Flint. If you uh, do a do a quick Google search, you'll be able to pull up that address real easy. And uh, if you're gonna go, hit me up. Let me know, and maybe we can grab lunch uh, after uh, after their worship service is over. I'd love to love to connect with you. Um, you can also uh, hang out with me in person uh, on Tuesday nights at Doubt on Tap, uh, and uh, that's a open conversation. Uh, about things that matter with people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And um, uh, we are currently doing a series on series of conversations uh, jumping off of Bill Murray movies. And uh, so this past week we talked about mental health and mental illness uh, after uh, a number of us you know, kind of watched and enjoyed What About Bob? And so uh, this coming Tuesday uh, we're going to be discussing uh, themes related to St. Vincent and uh, I'm sure that we'll be talking about things like family and grace and that kind of stuff. Uh, so check out that movie, uh, St. Vincent. Come out, hang out with me uh, on Tuesday nights at Doubt on Tap. And uh, and then uh, if you live in the Ypsilanti area, man, I'd love love for you to come hang out on a Sunday night sometime, have dinner with us, and uh, spend some time talking about the scriptures, uh, communion, uh, sharing stories, that kind of thing. And uh you are always welcome Sunday night, 6 o'clock, uh, at my home, 9016 Parkland Drive, Ypsilanti, Michigan. And I uh, hope, hope to see you out. Um, so it's just some, some ways that you can, you can connect uh, in person. And, uh, and as always, uh, you can continue conversations with me on Twitter, at Daniel M. Rose. That is hands down the easiest way to, to engage with me. Um, and... Uh, one last thing, make sure that you like, share, rate, comment uh, on this podcast, uh, wherever you listen. It helps other people find me. And, uh, you know, if you think if you think it's worth listening to, maybe someone else in your circle of friends uh, would find it worth listening to as well. And I'd love to, love to have them uh, become a part of this community. Um, uh, one, other, one other quick shout out. Uh, and that is our new podcast that I have launched with my good friend RT. He is uh, the assistant director uh, in Southeast Michigan for the American Atheists. Uh, he and I have started this podcast called T and Day, <laughs> which uh, cracks me up. Uh, it stands for the Theist and the Atheist podcast. Uh, so, you know, a friend who, two, two friends uh, who have very different ways of understanding the world and the universe sit down and have conversations that matter. And I currently you can find us on Anchor. 
uh, anchor.fm slash TNA. Uh, and uh, again, you can connect with us on, uh, on Twitter at Tandacast, T-A-N-D-A-C-A-S-T, Tandacast, and uh, catch up with, with all of our episodes. Uh, we're still waiting for Apple to give us the, the thumbs up. Um, and uh, so currently we're not, we're not on Apple Podcasts, uh, probably because our title of our podcast is a little bit racy. Um, so, so yeah, those, those are just some quick announcement things. And, uh, you know, every once in a while, you know, it's probably good to, to do some self-promotion, right? Um, so on to, on to the show, on to the episode. Uh, let's, let's dive in here. We are, uh, continuing, uh, our, our dive into the letter to the Romans. And, uh, man, I gotta, I gotta tell you, uh, you know, I've always, I've always studied Romans as, as just a, a theological treatise, right? You know, um, this was, this was kind of Paul's, Paul's moment, you know, mountaintop moment. This is his, this was the height of his, him at the height of his powers, uh, writing, uh, just doing great stuff, laying out, uh, the, the true unfettered gospel, right? I mean, this is, this is Paul's systematic theology is the way some people have have put it. And, you know, I, some of that's very true. I, I do think uh, Romans may, may be one of uh, maybe one of Paul's greatest letters. Uh, it may be one of the greatest writings of, uh, of all, all of Christianity. But it's not just it's not just this. Uh, it's not just this, this, this letter of doctrine. It is subversive and challenging, and man, it it drives home some some really really heavy stuff, uh, especially as you get into the second half, which so many people ignore uh, in, in chapters twelve through fifteen. Uh, they just kind of read read past them, but they are they are really challenging and really subversive, and uh, and they get into some really man some some really important issues about race, about power, um, and oppression and privilege and, and a lot of, a lot of these contemporary issues that we seem to think are super new, but man, they are, they are, they are old as, old as humanity. And, and the early church was dealing with them just like we are now. Uh, instead of black and white, they're dealing with Jew and Gentile. And and Paul Paul goes right at it and challenges challenges a lot of the assumptions, uh, and, and for those of us that are that are white Christians, we really fit into uh, the Jewish position in this letter. And uh, as people who kind of had religious power and a little more religious freedom, and uh, and had some had a position, had just a different position. And so, uh, you know, we we need to hear what what Paul's saying. And on Sunday nights, that's what we're doing. We're looking at the second half of this letter, and and, and we're going backwards. We're working our way backwards through Romans. Um, and so what I'm doing, uh, this is this this podcast is a bit of a companion to those times. And so uh, for those people who are part of our congregation, the idea is that you that they will listen to this podcast and then come ready ready to to talk uh, about. Uh, about whatever passages that we're going to dive into, and um, 
because as I was as I was preparing, one of the things that I noticed is that there seemed to be a lot of connecting points earlier in the letter to later in the letter. And so, for instance, today, uh, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about Romans 9, but, uh, uh, you know, probably a little bit different way than, than maybe you've heard it talked about. I know my thinking on Romans 9 has changed as I have, uh, as I've understood more deeply the unity of, of the letter, right? Of how the, the first half and the second half are really tied together. Because what I, what I saw as I, as I began to lay these things out and began to really process through the letter uh, as a whole, as opposed to, you know, Romans 1 through 8, which is, oh, it's the best stuff ever. Romans 9 through 11, nobody understands it. Romans 12 through 15, oh, it's just boring. You know, let's just get on with it, right? Um, and, and so what I'm finding, though, is that these, the first half, you know, it all ties together. So like Sunday, we're going to be talking about Romans uh, 13, uh, 1, 1 through 7, uh, which Paul, in that, in that part of the letter, Paul is talking about uh, submitting to the governing authorities. Man, <laughs> that's, that's somewhat relevant, wouldn't you say? Uh, you know, in, in a time as political as ours, uh, here's, here's Paul answering the question of what do, we, what do we do? What do we do about living in an oppressive uh, power-hungry, uh, abusive regime, because that's that's what the Romans were living under. They were living, they were living under an empire that hated them. And so we get into Romans thirteen one through seven, and Paul says, "Hey, this is how you handle it." Uh, but for us to really understand what's going on in Romans thirteen, I think we have to make the connection back to Romans chapter nine. I think those two, those two parts of the letter really inform one another. Uh, because, you know, what, what we see in Romans 9 uh, is, is we see Paul uh, pressing into God's authority. And what, what kind of authority does God have, right? So, remember the context. Remember, remember that, you know, as Paul's writing to this church here in, in Rome, you have a, a Jewish Jewish missional community, and you have, you know, probably four, uh, four Gentile missional communities, and they were kind of at each other. There was not a lot of unity. Uh, it was it was a very segregated time, very similar to our day and age here in the United States, where, you know, Sundays are the are the most segregated day of the week, and so, so Paul, in in Romans nine, really begins to tackle. This, this question of how can how can the people of God how can the people of God really be Jew and Gentile? How is that even possible? Because the Jews see, the, the Jews saw themselves and understood themselves to be the true people of God. And, and so much so that the book of Acts spends a lot of time showing us how how Gentiles were were finally and ultimately accepted into the church. I think that's a that's a pretty critical storyline in the book of Acts. One that one that I've I've kind of uh, minim, minimized in the past, but one that I'm realizing now is, is is absolutely significant and critical, especially in light of what I'm now beginning to understand and read in this letter to the church at Rome. And so so in Romans nine, Paul begins this uh, he really lays out this argument 
And the argument is twofold. First, uh, that the authority of God is sovereign. Uh, that God, being God, gets to do what God wants to do. And, and God is not subject to uh, you know, human, human preferences, human wants, human desires. Uh, we, you know, we don't get to tell God what to do. That, that seems to be, uh, I think that's, I think that's one of the bedrock arguments here in, in Romans chapter nine, right? Um, you know, he starts off, well, let me, let me do the second thing. And then the second idea, and I think we'll see, we can, we can see this come out loud and clear is that he's also arguing that the, that the people of God, uh, to, to be included in the people of God is a universal thing. That, uh, that the that God's that, that from the beginning, God didn't intend for the people of God to be uh, a single ancestried uh, kind of kind of thing, not not determined uh, by human ancestry, not determined by bloodlines, but to be included and called as a part of the people of God was dependent completely on God's sovereign authority. That that what God is doing here. Um, is God is saying, no, humanity is mine. God lays claim to all of humanity uh, here, here is in Romans 9, and I think is what, what Paul is arguing. So he says, he starts off, and, and, he, and he's, just, he's just come off uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, the end of Romans chapter 8, you know, he, he says, you know, uh, that nothing, nothing, and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's he's made this argument just previously that there is that, that you can't you can't separate people from the love of of God in Christ Jesus. And then he goes into verse your chapter nine verse one. He says, "I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart." For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. For it is not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children? On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be record, reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. This is the important piece here. This, is, this I think, is the central idea, his thesis, right? This is the argument. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children. It is the children of the promise who regarded as Abraham's offspring. So right from the beginning, right, he says, hey, you want to be a child of Abraham? It's, it's, not, it's not about being able to trace your lineage back to Abraham. It's about this promise, this promise that God made. And when God makes promises, it's a different kind, you know, it, it has a different weight to it, right? It's thicker, Uh for lack of a better way of putting it. God's promise carries the day. 
And so, you know, this whole conversation here that Paul begins to lay out in chapter 9 and the following is rooted in God's promise. God's promise to, to make the nations a blessing, uh, you know, to, to, to bless the nations through, through Abraham, right? This is, this is what we are seeing. Um, and so, you know, he goes on. Uh, he says, for, this is how the promise was stated at the appointed time. I'll return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by her father Isaac. So they were twins, right? Uh, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, nor that God's promise, purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger, just as is written. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. What, shall, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. See, this is, this is what is so critical to understanding, is that God, God is at work through his promise, and we don't get to control that. Now, too often, what I hear I've heard this, these passages taught is in a defense of, um, of a pretty strict Calvinism or a double predestination is what, is what some people call it, right? And, uh, and what double predestination teaches is that uh, from, from eternity past to eternity future, God has decided who will go to hell and who will go to heaven. That, that's kind of the argument. It's way more nuanced. It's way more deep. Uh, and I know that 99.9% of you that are listening to this uh, do not care uh, to go too much further than just the than that thumbnail sketch of it. If you want to go deeper, hit me up on Twitter, at Daniel M. Rose. Um, but, but I don't think, I don't think it's teaching that. I think, Paul, I think there might be something even more subversive going on here. And that is the universalization of of Jesus's work. I, I think what we might be seeing here is, is Paul really defending the idea that the work of Christ on the cross was universal, that, that, that his mercy extends beyond any measure we could possibly come up with, that we could not possibly ever comprehend the depth of grace, the depth of mercy that was that was won and wrought on on the cross. I think I think that's what he's I think that's really um, what it's arguing, right? Um, it says therefore now, so verse 16 it does not def- therefore depend on human desire or effort but on God's mercy for scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up. For this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, that my, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy in who he wants to have mercy and hardens in who he wants to harden. Now, one of you will say, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But you are. But who are you, a human, being talk, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some, pot, some pottery for special purpose and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy 
whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. What if, Paul says, what if he is extending mercy upon mercy upon mercy? What if he is showing great patience even, even to those, those objects, those, those things uh, that, that should be prepared for destruction? What, what, if he bears mer- what if he's merciful to them? What if he bears great patience towards them? What if he even includes Gentiles? I mean, the scandal of all scandals, Paul says. What if? What if? The Gentiles are included. Those people. Those people who eat meat sacrificed to idols. Those people who get drunk all the time. Those people. Those people. Drop your those people in. What if? What if? God's mercy extends to them. And now he goes on in verse 25 and starts quoting the prophets, right? He says, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. Don't overlook these. If you're someone who who holds to this idea of double predestination, don't overlook what Paul's doing here. Paul's saying the people who you don't think are my people, ah, they're mine. God, God is God is inclusive. He is He is laying out here a big, universal, grace-centered, mercy-oriented gospel. This is the song. Remember, the gospel was a victory song for the emperor. Our emperor, our king, King Jesus, is is saying, ha, my people, you, my people, you're all my people. He is inclusive. In the very place, it says in verse 26, where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they will be called children of the living God. It's, it's, it's everything. And, it's, and it is an amazing thing. He's reversing this stuff, right? You know, the objects of wrath, man, you're my people. I said you were not my people. You know, you are my people. You weren't loved, now you are loved. This is what happens in the cross. And it's just, this is good news. Now, the number of Israelites, verse 27 be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. So what is, what's he arguing here? What, why is he quoting, why is he quoting um, Isaiah? Well, because here's the thing. Israel had turned its back. It had turned their back. As a nation, as a people, they had turned their back on God. You know, you go back and read through the story of, of the people of God, and it's not a pretty one. They basically told God to go stick it. And God says, hey, you can say stick it, I still got you. That's what the remnant is. It is it's God still saying, run, that's fine, run. I'm still here, I still love you, I, I will still embrace you. Verse 30, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? Righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law's way of righteousness have not attained the goal? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith as if it were by works. 
They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. I mean, think about the radical notion here of what he's talking about. Um, he is, he is saying, he's saying that, that a righteousness, that a righteousness that is not our own, a righteousness that comes from God is, is what makes us righteous. And they're experiencing, and he's talking about this experience of the people of Israel, right? And he says, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained to their goal. What was their goal? Well, their, their goal was to make God happy. Their goal was to please God. And God kept telling them all the way through. You go back to the prophets. He says, I don't, I don't want, I, I, I don't, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want these things. What I want is your faith. What I want is you to trust me. And why does God want them to trust him? Because he is the authority. Because he is the only one who is worthy to be trusted. And, and if we trust in God, we will not be put to shame. Now think about, again, think about what he's saying here and the, the subversive nature of this. In, in Roman society, you followed the rules. You did what was right. You were pietous. You had piety. You, you did good things to build up honor. And then you would be honored by those around you because you were always doing, you were doing good, you were doing right by the emperor. What Paul is saying is, no, that's not how it works. Shame does, is not related to, to your piety. It is not related to your honor. It is related to God's honor. It is, he, he alone is, is the one who can make sure that you will never be put to shame. And the way you do that is by trusting him. Simply trust, trust him. So God, God in his grace includes all of humanity as his people whom he will not shame. Amazing statement. And so then you fast forward here to, to Romans 13 and in verses one through seven. And Paul is now talking about the civil authorities. The governments under which the people of God now live. And how do they relate? How do they respond? What do they do? Well, come to my house on Sunday night, 6 o'clock. Have dinner with me, and, uh, and we'll talk about that. Uh, so, you know, until then, continue the conversation with me on Twitter, at Daniel M. Rose. Uh, and uh, again, please, uh, please consider uh, sharing, rating, and uh, commenting on this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, so until until next week, my friends, love well.